Hey everyone, welcome back to another episode of the Newt News Podcast. This is the first time we've talked in months when there's actual baseball activities going on. I am so excited. It's just it's fun to stop talking about the winter, everything that's going on, and get to some on-the-field play, even if it's workouts, even if it's just live BP videos we're watching. It's so much better than the slow slug of the offseason. Joined by Andrew and Sandy once again, and our good friend Jeff Jones. Uh, thanks for joining us, Jeff. How are things treating you so far in Jupiter? Uh, so far, so good. They were soggy today. Uh, my phone told me we had like two inches of rain so far today, with a little yeah. more to come overnight. So it's been uh, been 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 a pretty wet Sunday. But other than that, pretty good. Uh, you know, smooth sailing so far. Pretty quiet. Nothing really crazy happening thus far in camp. But it's only been a week or so. So uh, we'll give it some time, I guess. Yeah. What does it typically look like for you, like on a typical day going in to watch the workouts and stuff? Like, what is your what are you trying to accomplish? What are you trying to do each day? Yeah, so it, it, it can vary. You know, broadly speaking, what happens is they, they open the clubhouse to us right about 8 o'clock in the morning most days. So we have an hour in the morning. Uh, then we'll have about an hour of downtime at the end of which we'll usually get the manager for, for 15 minutes or so. Then they will go out, uh, do their workout, you know, run through the schedule. And whatever that looks like sort of depends on what they have planned for the day. So, for instance, yeah. yesterday, Saturday, uh, there were 19 live VPs going at once. Uh, every day there is a schedule. Actually, I have here. Here's a good example of one sitting right behind my computer because this is uh, this is seven. Oh, yeah, yeah, this is yesterday. So we can sort of okay. see right big grid of where pitchers are going to be <laughs> and where catchers are going to be. And you can see where I had sort of circled what time guys were. So like, mm. all right, I can catch Helsley here. Or do I want to go watch Ryan Fernandez? Then I went to run to see Libby. Then I went to go see Zach Thompson. But I didn't because I went to go see Jerpy instead. Then to Granillo and then to Riley O'Brien. So it's just you yeah. know basically trying to keep track of time uh, and and watch as things go you know through the day. Um, all told, like I said, yeah, as I as I throw that down, they were only back on the fields working yesterday. Uh, looks like the first thing started. At, they started stretching at ten and they were back inside by noon, right? So you know it, it, the, the workout days can go pretty quickly, even when they're getting a lot done. Uh, owing in part to the fact that usually it's uh, it's hot, it's sunny. They're trying to get these guys in and out as quickly as possible. So that ramps up as camp goes on and full squad workouts happen. They get a little longer. But with pitchers and catchers, it can be relatively uh, compact in the morning. Sweet. Yeah. Um, were there any moments where it was really tough to decide, like, who to go see and who to miss? You know, I mean, a little bit kind of, right? Because there are things like, you know, I, I haven't seen Ryan Fernandez pitch in person, right? Whereas I've seen – uh, I've seen Zach Thompson and I've seen that Libertor pitching person a lot. So it's a matter of, you know, what, what, where's the best place for me to put my time here? And and that was actually ultimately, you know, why I ended up um, going to watch Jerpy instead of watching Thompson, right? Because I've seen Thompson a lot. I hadn't really seen Jerpy in person maybe once, but, but yeah, not, not very often. And so I decided to hop over to see, to see Jerpy pitch instead. And was glad I did, you know, it was a nice little peek into kind of what makes him so tough. And, you know, frankly, but it, it, it was in a spot, too, on one of the further backfields where uh, the players may be a little more comfortable being a little more forthcoming kind of about opinions and stuff. And so it was interesting to hear Mason Wynn and Jordan Walker sort of talk to each other uh, about Jerpy, right? I mean, kind of what he was delivering to them and how they would, you know, go about that as hitters and be able to sort of see that in real time. That's awesome. Well, you know, being fans, all we get are these like really short clips on social media. And so we only see one pitch from somebody's session or one excited reaction from Sonny Gray. And that's just a little preview of what we'll get into later. But what we have seen as fans are the New Jersey's. And I'll say, I think they're terrible. I think a lot of other people can't stand them. Can you oh. tell us just what's this all about? 
explain to the fans I, back home, like, why are they changing and why are they so much worse? So, yeah, this is the first year of the new pattern uh, that Nike, I guess, developed and has outsourced to Fanatics to produce. You know, I, I should say here more precisely that, that Fanatics has been producing, actually producing uh, the Nike branded logos for a couple of years now, right? This is just the first year of this new template that ostensibly is meant to mirror the all-star template. And so it's, I guess it's a thinner fabric, but it's supposed to be more wicking and it's supposed to be more athletic and blah, 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 all this stuff that I guess is good for performance. But the design changes they made to accommodate the performance look terrible uh largely because the mlb logo you know if you look at the back of an mlb jersey the mlb logo is usually right at the very top of the neck right there's a seam that kind of runs underneath the collar the mlb logo used to be above the seam and then you would have the nameplate and the numbers below it now because of the way that they have changed the stitching i guess for they for whatever reason felt like the mlb logo had to be moved below that stitch and so when that moves down uh the letters get smaller and they get arched and the numbers get different um, now everyone has the exact same size numbers and, and nameplate on the back of their jersey, which is like, I, they just look bad. Like they look cheap and different and weird and bad. And I'm sure that they'll be gotten used to eventually. Uh, but I also frankly don't know what they're going to look like kind of as the season wears on and it gets hotter outside and these guys start sweating more. Uh, you know, there was the, the Cardinals because of their putting in a city connect had to get rid of the, the batting practice jersey, they're rather the, the spring training jerseys. And so they have been guys who have been doing like pitchers who have been doing mound work have been wearing their road grays out to the back, whereas pitchers who were just doing like PFPs and, and non throw days had on like workout tops, right? Uh, and there have been guys who have thrown bullpens in the sun and they come out and like they're soaked and they're sweaty and you can see it through the grays and they look and they look awful, they look really bad. So I don't. I don't know that this gets fixed. I think, it, you know, I know that there have been some people who have been sort of idly speculating that somehow uh, the PA is going to step in or the league is going to step in and send them to the Nike. I kind of doubt it. I kind of think it's more likely that we just probably eat it and watch it look terrible uh, for at least a year. But they are, uh, they're not good. However bad they look in pictures, they look worse in person. That makes you feel any better. Oh my gosh. They're so bad. <laughs> they look like the giveaway jerseys. Like they honestly, do. they are they look like bad. the crappy giveaways I get. Oh, that's terrible. And honestly, I'm just glad the Cardinals don't have Jared Saltalamachia because that would go all the way around at this point. Can you well, imagine? We we have not yet seen what Goldschmidt looks like in the oh, new uh, in the new. So that's that's gonna be bad enough. And I, I will say, you know, as bad as they are, they could be worse, right? Because the DeWitts at least fought to maintain the chain stitching on the logo, but it's it's chain stitching onto a patch, which is now applied as opposed to being directly chain stitched on. It still looks a little better. Uh, the other thing the Cardinals fought against and did not have to endure was the like the dental numbers. I don't know. Some I don't know if you've seen this. It was yeah, kind of like I, I, like yeah, like like basketball jerseys almost or whatever. Like you know the little tiny dots that kind of make up uh, the numbers. The Cardinals said a hard no to that as well, uh, which is good because those also look bad. So I, I, you know, they did I guess the best they could to maintain the look that they had, but it's it's you're really kind of pushing upstream on this one. And this is just the last thing. Like they're more expensive now too. I, apparently, yeah. I, admittedly, I have not looked, but I hear that they are significantly more expensive. Gosh, Andrew, save us. Yeah. Okay. Um, so one of the biggest. Well, well, wait. We gotta call Andrew real quick. Apparently, he doesn't think they look that bad. Oh. Okay. I. Th I think the font looks fine. I don't know. 
if if they it's, look bad in person, then they look bad in person. So, and the thing uh, is, there are going to be a lot of people who, like Andrew, are going to look at him and go, yeah, what's the big deal? And that, I think, is probably ultimately why we end up in a place where they don't change. Uh, yeah. I, I, think they, I think they look bad. I think they look, I do think they look bad. But, you know, if if 30% of people feel the way Andrew does, then they're, they're not changing. I mean, I'd rather have the most stitched and whatever, but I, I don't know. It is what it is. Uh, <laughs> You're the one, problem, one Andrew. Okay. Fair enough. Um, one of the biggest storylines coming out of um, spring training so far has been um, the topic of leadership in the, the Cardinals clubhouse. Um, and it was something that that was addressed a little bit um, last uh, or this past week with with comments that Nolan Arenado made. Um, so could you try to break it down for our listeners? What exactly what he was trying? What exactly was he trying to, to convey? Um, and um, not to get like too worked up over over the new uh, veteran additions. Yeah, so I, I think that one of the things that Nolan was trying to convey is a thing that we have, we have heard from him in the past that he feels pretty strongly about, which is that he feels like if things aren't going well on the field for him, he's not in a position to to go to teammates and make suggestions and, and you know and, and be vocal from a leadership standpoint. Whether or not that's true, I, you know, I guess that's to Nolan to decide, right? To me, to me, that doesn't feel right, like that for a player of, of his caliber that he would have that kind of hesitancy, but. These things are personality based and they're individual. And if that's where he's at, then that's where he's at. And and so, you know, the conversation when the Cardinals signed Matt Carpenter uh, and, and, and we talked to John Mosellock about it was really not at all about what he can do on the field. Right. You know, that was maybe a 15, 20 minute presser in which there were 90 seconds of conversation about how he is going to play baseball this year. Uh, and, and the rest of it was sort of look, you know, without without asking for carpenters specifically goldie and nolan kind of came right up to the edge of saying this is the kind of guy that we need this is the kind of guy that we want uh you know do what you can to bring them in and and, and i think you know nolan's point the other day was that having a guy like that on the roster who has gone through it who's who has has gone you know who has been a part of winning teams before who understands the way that maybe these, these guys want things done that guy can be helpful even if he's on the bench and maybe even especially if he's on the bench uh, because there is less focus on, you know, what he is and isn't providing on the field. I will say is that the best use of a roster spot is probably an open question. And, you know, is that indicative of other things happening in the clubhouse that are tough to understand? Like Nolan is talking to us about how young the clubhouse was last year. And, and I'm listening to him say this, that doesn't really check for me, right? Like, I don't, I'm not entirely sure that that is the case. I, I would buy that there was maybe an experience in that clubhouse last year, especially down the stretch when we were talking about, you know, them just sort of trying to plug holes and, and get to the end of the season. And, you know, no doubt you look at the last game of the season and it's a lot of, you know, Lopez's and Kirikudos and Modders and, and, and guys who had been, you know, had had more like 4A kind of progressions throughout their career. Uh, but I was I was a little bit surprised to hear him describe kind of the youth in the clubhouse the way that he chose to the other day. Yeah. Do you think that's something that won't play well with some of the young guys in the clubhouse? Like, I, I know that's a little bit speculative, but I just kind of read that quote and it, it didn't feel like he, he kept saying in the like your written quote, like, hey, I'm not trying to I'm not trying to say like they're a problem. But yeah. when you look at like guys I, that are spoken highly of, but then he's like, we have too much youth. I don't know. Is that something that could not play well with the young guys in the clubhouse? So what I would say is that when when younger guys talk about Nolan, they are 
extremely deferential and extremely mm-hmm. like in awe of and support of what he does on the field. Right. And that sometimes you talk to a guy about an older player uh, and you get a sense that they are like a quarter of an inch from rolling their eyes, even as they say the things that they are supposed to say. That mm-hmm. is not the case with Nolan at all. I don't get I don't get that sense at all. So I, I don't think it, it, it reads that way. I also wonder, you know, I wonder about what he considers to be a young guy. Like he didn't want to go into the specifics of that. And I, I get it. I understand why. But if he is talking about the kind of and I, I think Ben Fredrickson has called it kind of the soft middle of the clubhouse, the guys that, that got sent away this offseason, right? You know, the the Hudson's, the O'Neill's, the guys who've been around for a while but hadn't really done a lot, you know, Woodford, whatever. If he's talking about those guys, I guess I get it. But even those specific personalities, I, I don't know. There was a lot, I guess the thing to say is there was a lot of what Nolan said the other day that for me didn't like, didn't check out. Like it didn't make a lot of sense to me. But at the same time, it's not my clubhouse and the third things that happened in there when I'm not in there that are, I don't know anything about, right? So I have no reason not taking this word. Uh, but it was, it, I, I thought it was a really, it was an interesting window into how he felt about it. And I was pretty surprised by how he, not only by how he felt about it, but also how willing he was to be forthcoming about how he felt about it. Yeah, it's really interesting. I'm kind of in the same boat as you where as I was reading through what he said, I was like, that just like, kind of strange um so do you think I'm, I'm really hung up on this hesitancy thing where it's like if nolan's not playing well he doesn't feel is it i guess willing or he doesn't feel like he should like go tell other players give them adjustments and how do you think that contributes to the type of snowball effect we saw last year yeah so i mean i, I definitely think it's that he doesn't feel like he should that you know he doesn't feel like it, it's proper for him or that's his place or whatever yeah. if, if things are going bad for him to tell other guys how things should be going good. Um, part of that, I think, is sort of the way that Nolan wears his frustration. I don't think, you know, I think we've all sort of seen enough, even publicly, to tell that when it's not going well, he wears it and he wears it on himself, right? This is, you know, this is, it, it's pretty visible and sort of what you see is what you get in terms of all of that. And so I can imagine um, where some of that frustration would come from, uh, you know, in, in terms of him being willing slash able to, express himself in that way um but i also think frankly it in part is a consequence of not ever really having been a part of a clubhouse where he was expected to be that guy because you go back to colorado even for him there were you know i i'm i don't remember if tulo was around or not but like story was around and charlie blackman was around you know there were there were guys who had had kind of veteran pedigrees who handled a lot of that stuff when Nolan was in Colorado. And then he comes here in his first couple of years, you know, Yadier Molina is around and Albert is around the first year Harp is around, right? There are like, there are all these guys who maybe had sort of handled that in the past. And maybe he found himself kind of surprised by how much of that he was, whether it's how much he was expected to carry, or at least how much the weight of it weighed on him in the way that it did. Yeah, so going along the lines now, like moving the attention back to maybe like the Matt Carpenter signing specifically, I don't know if could you speak to a little bit what having a veteran on the bench actually does for a clubhouse? Because I think there's a little bit of the like they have Goldie, they have Arenado. Why do you need a veteran presence? Like, what are some of the actual things that a Carpenter could provide to the clubhouse that we can argue if it's a it's worth the roster spot or not? But what's their line of thinking with that? Yeah, and you know, I I think the the really easy kind of comparison to draw here. 
uh, is when they signed Albert Pujols before the 2022 season, right? Like Matt Carpenter's not Albert Pujols, obviously. I don't think any of us are expecting him to kind of have the kind of year on the field that Pujols had in 22. But if you think about that signing in spring training, you know, that $2 million deal, that very much obviously, you know, gonna, you know he's going to wrap it up here and we hope it all goes well. And at the time, there were a lot of people who were going, gee, what if he doesn't make the all-star break? You know, this could yeah. end really badly. Uh yeah, and obviously turned out to be like an unforgettable season for him. But I, I think that there probably was a degree of, okay, you know what, this worked. And that was Albert in games, even games where he was DHing. It was him talking to guys on the bench, and it was younger guys kind of glomming on to him and, and following his workout routine. You know, I'm, I'm sure everybody remembers lots of stories of Juan Yepes trailing behind Albert in his footsteps for as well as that workout, as it turned out. Uh, but no, I mean, you know, you can just sort of see – kind of the impact those guys have. And also, frankly, like, these guys are going to kind of understand what Carp is doing there. And so if the understanding in the clubhouse is that he's a proxy almost for Goldie and for Nolan, right? You know, if, if it's coming from him, it's to be understood as coming from them. That all sounds really convoluted and more complicated than it needs to be. But frankly, if, if those two guys aren't comfortable vocalizing and, and Matt Carpenter feels like he is or is willing to because he sort of understands his spot – then it gets their message across, you know, maybe better than they would if they did it themselves. That at least, I guess, would be what they were hoping for. Yes. Yeah, so you mentioned um, Albert and, and Yachty's impact on on the the younger players in the in years past, but like um, we we've got um, Yachty back as some sort of advisor and Discalso as the bench coach. What difference does Matt Carpenter provide as like sort of a veteran player off the bench that um, one of those guys couldn't do as a coach? So yeah, I, I do think it's different when it's a player versus a coach, right? Because there is a, there is a layer of separation, a level of separation built into that um, that that you know inherently makes it different. And and you know the scalpel is going to have responsibilities exterior to kind of bucking guys up, right? Like he's also going to have to do some of the nuts and bolts work of being a bench coach that you know that that takes up a decent amount of time in his day. And it, it is. It is different when it comes from a player versus coming from a coach. I don't know that I can pinpoint exactly why, but it, it for sure is. Um, in terms of Yadier Molina, you know, I, I I think it remains to be seen uh, kind of what that looks like day to day. One of the first things that we heard was that we weren't going to see him for at least a couple of weeks, that he was going to be getting to camp maybe closer to the opening of minor league camp uh, here in a couple of weeks. So, you know, for all their talk throughout the winter about how much time he was going to have to work with Contreras and Herrera in spring. Uh, oops, turns out maybe not so much. Uh, but, you know, however much he shows up during the season, we'll sort of see what that looks like. I don't know that they maybe have a full grasp yet of what that timing is going to be like and, and what his level of commitment is going to be. Um, and I think we're going to find out. I, you know, I, I think as, as the year goes on, we're gonna we're gonna find out how much he really wants to be around it, and then how involved he wants to be. And so I don't think I don't think they were in a position where they felt like they could rely on that if there were other options that they felt would sort of help them as much, or at least in in, in a different way they felt, that they felt like they were lacking. Hmm. To t uh, kind of tie a bow in the Nolan Arenado quote side of things in the veteran leadership, one of the takes that's kind of started to gain maybe some a life of its own is that this is a reflection on Ali Marmol as a manager and that needing a veteran on the bench means you have a bad manager, so there's bad clubhouse culture. 
could you speak into if there's it, again it's hard for us to fully know when you're like you said like even with the access you have you're not there all the time um but could you speak to like what that means because it feels like managers in the past have always relied on veteran leadership as well so it's not a brand new thing and then is there any other kind of takes or thoughts that you've seen people have about nolan's quotes that you just want to debunk and you're like that's not what he's trying to say there so i i think the thing that stands out to me is I have not seen very many people draw what I think is a very obvious line from this discussion to the situation with Ollie and Tyler O'Neill at the start of last season, which is mm. to say that doesn't happen if it had, number one, had broad support from the rest of the clubhouse. And number two, if there wasn't a lack of people in the clubhouse that were willing to take that on themselves, right? Like it probably is not necessary uh, for Ollie to come to us and sort of hang Tyler O'Neill out to dry if he had maybe been checked by one of his teammates in a way that they thought was appropriate. And so to me, more than anything else, that's what it speaks to. It, it's not that, you know, it's not that Ollie Marmol created a clubhouse environment that let things go badly or, you know, let things run out of control. Rather, it's that he was trying to manage a clubhouse environment that maybe was not as comfortable handling itself uh, hmm. as ideally you would want it to be. And, you know, some of those things get magnified because he is a young guy who didn't play in the big leagues. And so it's really easy for people on the outside to immediately dismiss him as a guy who doesn't know what he's talking about or, you know, a guy who's not plugged in or a guy who's being a hard ass or whatever. And in reality, that's him just, I think, trying to kind of manage the situation at the time and realizing that if nobody else was going to stand up and do it, then it fell to him. I, you know, I think you can, I think you can still quibble with how it was done and maybe how, how long it was dragged out. Right. But I, I think that that to me, there, I think there's a really clear line or really clear path between that happening and where we're at now with how these guys are talking about what the clubhouse should and shouldn't look like. Interesting. Yeah, so um, one of the storylines coming out of camp, another one, um, is that the Cardinals are open to the idea of a six-man rotation to start the season. So what's the thought process behind that in the clubhouse? So when you kind of think about the way a schedule typically looks at the start of the season, right, you, you typically would open on a Thursday, off Friday, play Saturday and Sunday. And they do that in the cold weather areas because you got to build in time for a rainout or a snowout so everybody can have their parades and all that stuff, right? Uh, you also maybe have more travel days typically early in the season and you have a longer time break between when you leave spring and when you, you know, and then when you play your first game. The Cardinals this year have a weird situation where they do not have a scheduled off day for the first eight days of the season because they open in LA and San Diego. It's four in LA, three in San Diego. They play a day game on San Diego. It's San Diego on Wednesday, April 3rd. And then the home opener is the next afternoon back in St. Louis. And so it's a mm. quick turnaround with a lot of time built in. There are also two games against the Cubs in Arizona on March, whatever, is it 25, 26, I guess, whatever those two days are, uh, that last week of March. Because they're going west to open the season, you know, it would give you know a, a whole big fun thing to go uh, and play the Cubs in Arizona, which they've never done before in spring training, and that's all perfectly fine and interesting. But it, there, somebody's got to pitch those games, right? Like there are literally physical innings that, that have to be accounted for in those. Now, can they bring, you know, could they bring Michael McGreevy and Gordon Graceffo with them to start this? Yeah, they could, they, and maybe they will. But more likely, those are going to be, you know, opportunities for guys to get touches and, and kind of do some fine tuning. All of that is to say, typically in the first, say, 14 calendar days of a season, maybe a team has eight 
games in the first 14 calendar days of this season the cardinals will have something like 11 games uh so when you start adding these things you know you start tacking them onto the schedule just the physical mass of innings uh gets a little harder to absorb and that i think is where you would see the possibility of that happening especially if either libertor or thompson pitches well enough in camp to grab one of those spots that's available ostensibly in the bullpen and they can pitch as you know a sort of hybrid starter opener or whatever as part of a six-man at least for one turn through the other the other very brief thing i'll say here as well is when you look at what the dodgers lineup looks like they probably wouldn't hate having another lefty make a start there right probably wouldn't hate it you know so even if it's just one game if either libertor or thompson were to start one of those games against against a lineup that includes freeman and otani would you rather have would you rather have thompson or would you rather have like lance lynn pitch one of those games that's a that's a question that they're going to have to address uh and, and figure out before they break camp yeah yeah so um that kind of rules out the the possibility of adding another starter um through a free agency or trade right that that's probably off the table at this point i i can't imagine like i I understand where the desire for Jordan Montgomery comes from. I don't think it's probably healthy for people to fixate on. Like it's, you know, I guess a dream is a wish your heart makes, right? I, I just I can't <laughs> imagine a scenario where that happens. You know, I don't, I don't, I don't say this as a person who like quote unquote knows anything when when it comes to this. I don't say this as a person who has any kind of inside information. This is just be spitballing. As soon as the Red Sox hit the number, Jordan Montgomery's going to the Red Sox. Like this is this, this seems very obvious yeah. to me. They have a need. His wife is a doctor at a hospital in Boston. Like this is not, this is not complicated. They're going to figure it out, and he's going to get there as soon as Blake Snell gets his money. They'll take it to the Red Sox and say, "What do you got?" And Montgomery ends up there. That's me talking spitball. In fact, that's not a report. I'm just talking. But that sure seems like the way that ends. Yeah, makes a lot of sense to me. It feels like the breadcrumbs of the Red Sox are all there. Um, how? I mean, it's hard to put a number on it, but do you think? How likely do you think the idea is that they actually experiment the six-man rotation for that first eight-day stretch, or do you think it's one of those things that, like, there's ideas that are thrown out everywhere because they have to explore every option? But at the end of the day, it's probably not that likely of a scenario, or is it just too hard to tell right now? I'm, on February 18th, I don't know the answer to that question because I don't know who is going to be healthy on March 18th, right? And and even yeah. when I say healthy, I'm talking about like maybe you know maybe lynn or matt or whoever is like a, just a week behind in their prep and so the season opens and those are guys who are going to throw who are going to max out at five innings versus max out at seven and does that change what that looks like you know there are there are a lot of variables um that still go into that i do definitely think it's on the table again especially especially if one of thompson or libertor does because there basically are three spots open in the bullpen right and if one of those two guys grabs one of those spots then i think it becomes a lot more possible hmm. i really wish the old rules were in place where you could carry an extra pitcher if you wanted to but you can't is my mic working right now sorry yeah you're, you're on yes we can hear you. okay great um but i just remembered I'm, I'm gonna ask a question i asked you last year when we had our first interview with you um where we just talked about fun storylines from camp and i remember you told us uh, a great jimmy crook story is there anything like that that's happened we're kind of just a relatively unknown player, um, a little tidbit hmm. you can share with us, something to make us feel like we're down there with you. What would have what would have happened really early in camp? so early in camp so far. I'm 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 trying to like speed run the thing. Here I guess here here's one from the other day. Uh we you know, as when with the pitchers who are not pitching having their work days down there is typically they, they rotate between three or four fields and go station to station, you know, and on 
on one, they'll field pop-ups, and then on one, they'll field grounders back to the mountain and toss the first, and on one, they'll, you know, whatever. And in, in this case, this was a field where the bunk defense was being worked on, and Stubby Clap is running this station, and basically you have a pitcher on the mound who's doing whatever the pitcher should be doing, and then you just have pitchers at all the other infield spots, right? So one at, you know, first, third, second, short. Uh, and they're just running through it, you know, whatever. You feel the ball, you rotate. It looks like Little League practice, right? Uh, and they're doing this the other day, and I don't even remember who it was, but somebody, whichever pitcher was playing second base, did not cover the bag, uh, I guess, in an adequate manner. And as as Stubby Clap starts to speak up and be like, hey, you got to go here on this play, Sonny Gray jumps in immediately ahead of him. And it's like, you got to go here. This has to be. And, and like, you know, like Sonny is running the bunt defense mm-hmm. station while participating in it, uh, which is a pretty, like, a pretty common theme for sort of how the, the Sonny Gray experience has been down here in camp so far. Like, far and away, the most, like, literally vocal guy I've ever heard, maybe. Like, I, you know, I have watched a lot, a lot, a lot of guys throw a bullpen in spring. I've never watched one, never heard one where the guy stands on the mound and is like, calling out counts, calling out pitches, and, and, and really, like, like just vocalizing his entire thought process as he goes through it. So I was not surprised uh, to see that from Sonny, but it was still like, oh, this is this is different. It was a whole other thing. Let's go. That's awesome. That's the type of stuff. That's the content that yeah. we all want to hear. Um, and then just getting a little more mainstream, a little broader here. Are there any major storylines that are starting to unfold? I know, again, we're super early in the spring, and hopefully we can reconnect with you uh, later on, but is there anything, any big storylines, broad trends or anything like that that you're seeing? Um, so the short answer is no, which I think is probably what fans want to hear because if there are big storylines at this point, it means that somebody is hurt. Right. Yeah. yeah. Uh, and that is not the case so far, you know, in, in terms of camp more broadly, I do think it is, it is pretty clear cut that there are assuming, assuming health, there are five guys who are going to be in the bullpen and that's Helsley, Gallegos, Romero, Kittredge, Middleton. Uh, which leaves three spots for, you know, three of King, Palante, Libertor, Thompson, O'Brien, Robertson, Fernandez, uh, you know, however far you want to go down the line, there are three spots from that group of six or seven guys, right? And that that is definitely going to be probably the most interesting roster battle uh, as camp goes on. And, you know, just to sort of see which of those guys stand out. You know, Riley O'Brien is a guy who in the early going definitely, definitely popped in like VP the other day, you know, a guy who's, stuff really stood out and really caught the notice of a lot of people but that's you know again that's now we'll see what nick robertson looks like when he gets game reps and fernandez and and all these guys so they're all gonna have opportunities to catch up but you know in terms of who had the who had the best first live vp of camp it would it would i guess be riley o'brien yeah, so um, going off that, um, the spring training games are going to be starting up uh, next weekend. So um, who are some players that you think fans should be watching uh, as soon as the games begin that we maybe haven't heard about? Yeah, so I, again, I would start with those. I would start with those bullpen guys, right? Robertson, O'Brien, um, you know, John King, you've seen Palante, you've seen those guys come in with incumbency. Um, Fernandez obviously has the Rule 5 attachment to it and how much they value that. How much can a guy like Granillo, you know, establish himself in camp? A guy who's got a super high strikeout rate uh, and is, you know, 24 and a pure reliever. That's the kind of guy who moves sort of fast, right? Uh, so that, you know, maybe that's the guy that you want to keep an eye on. Other than that, the other the other thing I think that is going to be worth watching is how, like, what, what the division of playing time kind of looks like between center field, shortstop, corner outfield, and how all that works out. You know, for all of the 
for all of the consternation about Tommy Edmond this winter, I don't, I don't think anybody today is is ready to say that he 100% is going to be ready for opening day. Like mm-hmm. he's not swinging at live pitching yet, right? He's hitting off a tee every other day. So even then, there are there are definite limitations. You know, I, I, we've talked to Tommy down here, and you know, for a guy who had what was described to us as a minor surgery, that's an awfully big scar on his wrist. But what do mm-hmm. I know? Not a doctor. What they, you know, whatever they do, what they do. Um, so that that is going to be worth watching. Like when does when does Tommy Edmond get into games, and when he does, is he like allowed to swing bat? And if not, then what does that mean? for both roster construction and playing time type stuff at the start of the season. Do you think the center field situation, because Victor Scott's obviously a name that people are really excited about. Do you think he would have a real opportunity to insert himself onto the opening day roster if Edmund wasn't ready to go? Or do you think that's the more likely scenario is Carlson slides in there, Siani or Fermin makes the roster and that's the route they go? I think, I think that's correct. I, you know, to me, to me, the comparison to draw is like, the spring that Mason Wynn had last year, right, where Mason got a lot of opportunities to play and got a lot of playing time, but I don't think anybody ever felt like Mason was really in danger danger slash had the real opportunity to make the roster out of spring. I think that is a pretty fair comparison to draw for the spring that we're going to probably see Victor Scott here have over the next couple of weeks. All right. Well, one more thing I was just wondering here. Sorry, this is a little unrelated, but we've heard all about these like pitching Olympics um, guys pick their teams and go through a bunch of events. I think that's what they call it. Has that started yet? And what can you tell us about that? So I, I assume we're talking about like the PFP championships, right? Like the draft of yeah. guys. And the yes. yeah. Okay. So that, that can come and go. That did not happen. Last. In fact, I'm trying to remember if we've seen it under Ollie Marmol spring training in either the last yeah. two years. And I'm not entirely sure that we have. There is usually some kind of competitive element of, Believe it or not, guys do get bored when they're asked to field the same eight months, uh, you know, for 14 days in a row. So there is, you know, those things, those things do tend to happen. So we haven't seen a lot of that yet, but I will say, you know, they do still get competitive. I, I was looking at my phone earlier trying to figure out when this terrible rain was going to stop uh, and notice that Apple at least thinks it's supposed to be very windy tomorrow. So it will be a fun day to watch pitchers try to field pop-ups out of, out of pop-up machines. Uh, as the wind blows around, you know, again, not a coincidence. I'm sure that, you know, you watch a baseball game and pitchers run away from pop-ups on the infield in spring, they are forced to run to them and it can be pretty good entertainment. Awesome. Yeah. So um, who's the spring training? Is it the spring training survivor that you guys play the writers down at Jupiter? That does. Yes, that does happen. Uh, We were actually just the other day having a conversation uh, about who was most likely to, uh, to to tread down that path, and I I think if I were if I were to if I were to be drafting, I would probably be taking like Alfonso Rivas or Jared Young, like one two, because those are guys who are going to play, or who are at least going to get one at bat in probably basically every game, um, and they're also not guys who are going to be like held back or you know what like you know. So JC maybe may not like be available for every game because maybe he's doing some stuff in minor league camp or whatever, right? As camp goes on, the 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 Rivas's and the Youngs of the world are going to be in major league camp, kind of right down to the end of it, assuming that they you know they don't they aren't forty many casualties before then. Uh, yeah. And so those are those are guys who to me are probably pretty likely to to get it in nearly every spring training game. Yeah. Oh, man. Well, to wrap up our conversation today, again, Jeff, thanks for hopping on. We really appreciate it. Um, speaking of Young, speaking of Rivas, 
the Cardinals offseason. I think the last time we connected was during the charity live stream. So most of their offseason had been done, but they made some reliever acquisitions mm-hmm. by that point. Just kind of reflecting on this winter as a whole, what like what has been your takeaways from how the Cardinals approach this offseason? And I mean, I know, I mean, I guess at this point we can put a grade on things a little bit, but where, where do you think coming into that offseason, what your expectations were, what they finished out with, how do you feel like they did overall? So what I would say is going into the offseason, if you had showed me like, if you had shown me what they did, right, I would say that's a pass on a pass fail scale um, in that they did get three starters, they got guys, they could take innings. The thing that stands out is the very different paths they took between the bullpen and the rotation, you know, they, they, they get three guys for the rotation who are extremely known quantities. They get two guys for the bullpen who are ostensibly known quantities, but also both coming off of injury, right? They're like, there is downside to Kittredge and to Middleton, both if, if, if the health kind of crops up. And then it's just a group of guys who wide up the track, man, and we'll see if they can pitch, right? Like that, you know, that that's the appeal of, O'Brien and Fernandez and of Roberts and these guys that are all going to get lumped together, you know, the Heim bunch, can we call them the Heim bunch? Uh, these, you know, these guys all, these guys light up the track, man. And so that should translate. And will it? We're going to find out. Uh, you know, I'm sure at least one, if not two of those guys is going to make the team and we're going to see what that looks like. So there's been a little bit of discussion about that the Cardinals just, they need to make one more move and we need them to just sign Trevor Rosenthal. And we're just going to manifest that right now. <laughs> With sure. that out no, of the no, way. No, I care. <laughs> That'd be awesome. I, I don't know. I don't know how much Trevor lights up the track man nowadays, but if you know what, yeah. if he can still bring it, then Hey, what the hell? I, you know, everybody look, if the giants can sign Pablo Sandoval, then Trevor Rosenthal certainly yeah, wild. Wait, What's my that favorite that out happen? there on the, on the free Asia market? The giants. Yeah. The Giants, uh, the Giants. Yeah, I think it was yesterday. Signed Pablo Sandoval yeah. to a minor league deal with an NRA, which okay. I he was uh, in the Dubai league, he was so you know <laughs> tanned, rested, and ready. Which you know, oh, hey, speaking Williams. of right, and speaking of the Giants, if you know, I, I think I think Trevor finessed like twenty million out of the Giants and the and the A's over two consecutive years, where he didn't throw a pitch for either of them. So good for him, you know. Hey, if he can, yeah. if he wants to pop back into the minor league deal, I suppose they should. Uh, I suppose they should allow it. Well, we'd love to see Trevor. Also, just Jeff, thanks so much for coming on today. As always, it's been an absolute pleasure. Uh, thanks everyone for tuning in. Uh, we are just so appreciative of all the support we've gotten, um, especially over the last few weeks and over this off season. We just absolutely can't wait to get started with the season. And uh, we've got a ton of exciting content coming up for everybody. We were talking about it a bit in the chat earlier, um, but that video we just released about the 10 most important Cardinals, go check that out. And then we've got some more similar content in the works. Uh, We just wanted to tease that. We've also got some new merch. Andrew put some funny merch up on the store. Um, If you want to hold Moe's water like we do, you can get one of those water bottles, but also check out the rest of our merch. Andrew especially uh, has designed some super cool stuff there. Make sure to keep checking us out on social media, uh, at Newt News Pod on Twitter, TikTok, and Instagram. Uh, and then anywhere you can listen to your podcasts, check us out. Um, we're on audio platforms as well as YouTube. Make sure to subscribe. That's the most important thing you can do. And then also comment, like, share. Um, but yeah, thanks so much for joining us. Again, Jeff Jones, go check his stuff out on Twitter as well. He provides some of the best Cardinals coverage out there. Uh, thanks, everybody. Thanks, guys. Have a good one.